Part of the beauty of singing those words together is that as we look around, we see the different faces of the folks we're worshiping with. We know that we're not singing those words flippantly. We are not singing them without having experienced life and the challenges that come to us in life sometimes, but still knowing in it all how good the Lord is. In fact, as we were singing the previous song, I Choose the Jesus Way, I was looking around and praying for various folks and, and thinking and praying, Lord, may we choose your way. There's so much going on. There's so many challenges in our world, but so many challenges in our lives, so many questions that we face. Uh, some of us who are going through suffering, some of us who are going through loss, some of us who are wrestling with questions of the faith, some of us who are wondering, how am I going to make it through tomorrow? Some of us who are wondering, how is it that I could ever be accepted by the Lord? Some of us, and we could just go on and on and on. And okay, how do I choose the Jesus way? in that situation? How do I know what God wants me to do today or tomorrow when I'm confronted with this issue or that issue? I know that God is good, but I also want to know what to do. It's a challenge, and I hope that in our message today we will find um, guidance. I hope that we will find light from the Lord for our daily walk as we increase in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Solomon, when he became king over Israel, a great kingdom, a powerful kingdom was offered a gift. What do you want? And he did not choose riches and he did not choose power. He asked for wisdom. He asked to understand what is right and how to apply that in leadership over that great kingdom as he, a young man, was out of his depth. And God gave that gift. God gives the gift of wisdom to those who ask for it, and this is what Jesus promises his disciples in the passage that we're reading today and really several times throughout the Upper Room Discourse as we have been reading. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will guide the disciples into truth, that he will testify to the truth, that he will teach the truth, that he will remind of the truth, that he will speak of the truth, that the Holy Spirit himself is truth, who is a gift to the disciples. So. That's the ad hoc introduction, just as we were singing together. Um, let's read the passage, John chapter 16. We are starting in verse 12, Jesus speaking to the disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what 
he will make known to you. The disciples were needy at this point. In fact, a few verses earlier, Jesus commented on their silence. Earlier in the upper room discourse, you might remember, they were engaged, they were peppering him with questions. Hey, what do you mean by this? Where are you going? How can we follow? Will you show us the Father? They were interacting with Jesus. But here at the beginning of chapter 16, he comments to them, you're silent. You're not asking me any questions anymore. They are feeling overwhelmed by the things that Jesus has revealed to them, by the fact that he would be leaving them, uh, by the fact that they were going to suffer for his name, by the awesome responsibility that they had of testifying to him in a hostile world without him being there with them. In fact, Jesus says, you can't bear anymore. It's a word that talks about carrying a heavy burden. Uh, when, when, when people are carrying a body, when Jesus is carrying the cross and is, is weighed down by that tremendous load, the disciples are weighed down by the words that Jesus is sharing with them, and they can't take any more at this point. He can't say everything that they need to hear. He's leaving. He wants to do the info dump, you know, here's everything that you need to know, but they can't take it anymore. They need some time in order to be able to process what Jesus has shown them, and they don't have the time right now. So what's going to happen? They have another need, and that is they need help. They need a guide. They need someone who is going to walk with them through this uncharted territory that is before them. To this point, Jesus has been with them. Jesus is now saying that he is leaving, but they've got to move on. He's given them the mission. They know that they've got to move ahead, and they need someone to lead them as they are doing that. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be a guide for you. He will lead you along the way. And of course, Jesus is talking about truth, But this word is used very picturesquely in regard to truth. Do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who's driving along on his way from Jerusalem back home, and Philip appears next to him, and Philip hears that the the eunuch is reading from Isaiah chapter 53 and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I know without someone to lead me, without someone to guide me, into what this means. And so Philip climbs up and sits beside him. Remember that idea of the paraclete who comes along beside? Philip climbs up to the chariot, sits beside him, and guides him through the Scriptures in order to explain to him the truth. And Jesus promises the disciples, the Holy Spirit is going to be your guide. So the Spirit is given by Jesus as a help to the disciples in their time of need. They have experienced this idea of loss. They're losing the presence of Jesus with them. But he says, you're going to get something better. You're going to get the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will help you 
as you move forward in this difficult life. There are three different ways that we see the Holy Spirit's help in this particular passage and, as, and in the upper room discourse as a whole. The first thing we read here is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who will lead you into all truth. Earlier in 1426, Jesus had already talked about what this idea means. And that is that the Spirit would remind them of the facts that they have lived through, but that might become a little bit sketchy in their minds as they go along. Jesus says, 1426, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit is providing help for is in remembering the facts. At the end of his book, John says, Jesus did and said so many things. You could probably fill the whole world with books about his life. How can a disciple remember those words that, that are recorded for us in the Scriptures? How could they keep the facts straight about the life of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus himself told them, the Holy Spirit will remind you. It's important for us to really grasp hold of this and to, and to make this a foundation in our lives. Ours is an historical faith. We don't have somebody who kind of wandered out into the desert and received a revelation from some sorts of angels or something like that and then came back and wrote it all down and said, this is the truth. Uh, unverifiable, uncorroborated by any other witnesses. We don't have dreams that are recorded for us without any foundation or any particular way to understand it. We don't have a philosophy that we're supposed to build our lives upon that might contradict somebody else's philosophy, but hey, we're going to choose this philosophy because we got to choose some kind of philosophy. We have a faith that is built on facts, and they are facts that the Holy Spirit was faithful to remind those disciples of as they recorded them for us. We have a faith that is built on a real life that was lived, by words that were spoken, by deeds that were performed. We have a faith that is built on an actual death on a wooden cross and a burial in an, a describable place that was owned by someone and a resurrection that was witnessed over and over again, and an ascension that was witnessed and recorded and corroborated. We don't, as one commentator said, I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, we are not saved by ideas. We are saved by facts, by real events. The Holy Spirit was given to the disciples to remind them of the facts and record them for us. Now, we could spend the next five months going through all the corroborating evidence and all the recorded facts, and a lot of people have done that a whole lot better than I have. But let me encourage you, 
If you've grown up with this impression that, hey, this is just things that somebody has told me, look into the history, research the facts, be affirmed in the work of the Holy Spirit in giving to us this body of truth. And then that's the next thing. The Holy Spirit is given to remind the disciples of the facts, which they will need to know, but then to reveal the truth. Another commentator said, the fact that Christ died is history. But when you say Christ died for our sins, now you're getting into theology. Now you're getting into the truth that we need to know and understand. And Jesus, and Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be given to the disciples to lead them, to guide them into all truth. It's important because you remember, even at this point, they didn't truly understand what was going on. Jesus would die, would rise again, and they would still be waiting for Jesus to establish a kingdom with visible and political and military power. They still didn't get it. But they would be the ones who would convey to the rest of the world the truth what all of this actually means and why it was accomplished. And Jesus wouldn't be there with them to guide them into that truth. Instead, he ascends to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit, and he promises the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to you. And by the way, that little word, the, is there in the text, and it's extremely important. He doesn't just reveal any old truth. He reveals the truth. How much do we need that? It's not just in our day that people question what is truth anyway, and how is one person's truth supposed to be more valid than another person's truth? Do you remember Pontius Pilate right here in the book of John when Jesus speaks to him of truth and he's like, what is truth? And then Pilate makes a very bad decision based on power, preservation of his power, rather than making a decision based on truth. If we don't accept the idea that there is truth, there is a body of truth against which I must evaluate what I believe and how I act, when that foundation is pulled away, then all we have left is the kind of decisions that are made based on power, based on gain, based on some sort of selfish motive about what I might want to receive instead of what Jesus might have to say to me. And I mention Jesus here because that's important. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
Little side note, when Jesus says, I am the way, that's the same root word that's used here for the Holy Spirit guiding you along the way. The Holy Spirit guides you along the way of Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the truth, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you, will guide you into the truth, the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. In John 8.32, when Jesus is being confronted by his adversaries, by the religious powers that want to eliminate him so that they can maintain their position, he says, seek the truth. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And he's talking about himself. And so, yes, I agree with that statement, we're not saved by ideas but by facts, but we must remember the facts are about a person, and the one who saves us is Jesus. It is our confidence in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. We talked about that last week, about how the resurrection is the, is the moment that distinguishes the validity of everything that Jesus has had to say to this moment. Our confidence rests on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also rests on the relationship that we have with him who is the truth. So he emphasizes to the disciples, he will guide you into the truth. And then there's another word here that's kind of important. He will guide you into all of the truth. Now, we're not talking about the full body of scientific and medical knowledge that is available. In fact, God receives glory when we research and dig into the world around us and find out new things in these areas. What we are talking about is everything that is necessary for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3, 1, uh, 1, we have received everything that is necessary for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Where, is our, where do we get our knowledge of him? We get our knowledge of him through this truth that has been recorded for us under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as he worked through the disciples. And in here is all that we need for life and for godliness. Peter described to Timothy the fact that Scripture is given us under the inspiration of God to teach us and to correct us and to train us and to bring us up to be prepared for every good work that we need to do. So the Holy Spirit, given to the disciples to remind them of the facts and to reveal to them the truth about Jesus Christ. But there's one thing more in the ways that he provides help that is so very important to them and so very important to us. And that is that the Holy Spirit then remains, in fact abides in each of them, the Holy Spirit remains to continue to lead them along the way. Here's what we read 
at the end of verse 13. He will tell you what is yet to come. Isn't that exciting? I want to know what's yet to come. Can we start with the lottery numbers for tomorrow, right? But let's get a little more serious. I want to know what's around the corner. I want to know how this is going to turn out. I want to know what the challenges are going to be that I'm confronted with. I want to know when the end times are going to be. We talk about it all the time. What's actually going to happen? When's it going to be? That's what we read here. He will tell you what is yet to come. It's a tantalizing idea. But I think we get the wrong idea when we read it. I'm sorry, throw all those tantalizing ideas out there, and now we're going to undercut it and try to get to what is in mind here. And it is not an apocalyptic idea about the distant future. Jesus is not talking in those terms throughout the upper room discourse. Jesus is talking with the disciples about how they are going to live, not so much talking about the things that are going to come. It would be totally out of context for him without explanation just to drop that little phrase in the middle there and then move on to talk about their daily life. On top of that, it's actually a different idea than when we read an example, for example, in the book of Revelation, where John, who is receiving the revelation, is told, come up here and I will reveal to you the things that are going to happen. It's a totally different term. That one has to do with the idea of things that must take place at some unknown future time. You see that in Revelation chapter 1 as well. That's not what John uses here. Instead, he uses a term about the things that, probably the best way to describe it, are the things that are around the corner. The things that are going to take place in the near future. It's a rare term. In this particular form, John only uses it in one other place, and it's two chapters later, chapter 18, verse 4, when Judas is leading the mob into the garden, and Jesus, knowing what was about to happen, says, who are you looking for? Jesus knew what was right there around the corner. He knew the events that were about to take place that were coming as a shock to the disciples, but he was completely aware. The things that are about to happen, the things that are around the corner for us, the things that we don't know about but that he knows about. You might say the things that are at hand. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to tell the disciples about. And that's another great word. You know, it's so simple. He's going to tell them about it. Just to get the idea of the kind of telling that is involved here, we can go back to the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. 
And Jesus begins his conversation with her, and they get into the realm of disputable ideas about worship. And she says, well, we're supposed to worship on this mountain, and, but the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus talks to her, and she says, the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us about it. He will explain what's going on here. It's also used uh, to describe the apostles going back to the church in Antioch and telling the church about everything that God had done on the missionary journeys. It's not just kind of telling, it's getting into the details, it's laying out the facts. The Holy Spirit is going to explain to lay out the facts about the things that are about to happen. What are the things that are about to happen? It's the cross, it's the burial, it's the resurrection, it's the glorification of Jesus Christ. These things that the disciples don't understand but are right around the corner, the Holy Spirit is given to them so that as those things are taking place, the disciples will begin to understand that's what's happening. This is why it's happening. This is how we should respond in this situation. Not because Jesus told them everything they need to know in John 13 through 16, but because Jesus promised the Holy Spirit who will remain as a guide, helping them to understand, to know how to live, that he will supply what is needed as it is needed in the events that are unfolding in the life of the disciples. And that's exciting. It might not be exciting as the lottery numbers or when Jesus Christ is coming back, but boy, it sure is exciting when something happens tomorrow I didn't expect. When I'm confronted with a challenge and I don't know what the solution is, Jesus made a promise. You have the Holy Spirit, and He will tell you about these things that are taking place and lead you along the way. So how does the Spirit help us? Remember, to this point, we've been talking about a promise that Jesus made to the disciples. He's going to remind you of these events. He's going to explain the truth to you. He's going to walk with you along the way about, uh, through the things that are coming around the corner. They then took that revelation. They took that truth. They recorded it for us. We have it in the Word How does the Holy Spirit help us now? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word for us. The idea is lighting up the Word so that we can understand. I don't know if there have been times that you have opened the Scriptures and read and thought, what on earth? I have no idea what I just read. That's when we depend upon the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist prayed, Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. That is a great thing to pray every single day before you open the word of God. That the Holy Spirit would help us to understand the truth that is recorded here for us. 
his illuminating work goes on in that work of conviction and that work of applying these truths to our lives. You probably also had the experience when you've read along and something's jumped out and kind of grabbed you by the throat and shaken you. I remember the first time for me. It was actually when we were in Bible quizzing. We were studying the book of Galatians, memorizing Galatians chapter 1, and there Paul said, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I still trying to please men? If I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Jesus Christ. I was in junior high school. I was all about making sure that people around me were happy. I was all about doing the things that I thought would make other people like me. Honestly, it's a problem I have to this day. The Holy Spirit took his word and said, Tom, that's you. And that's how he helps us in regard to this truth. The Holy Spirit illuminates the word. He applies the word to our lives. And he is the one who sanctifies us according to the word of God. Sanctifying is that process by which we are actually being made to live up to the status we've been given in Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that again. Sanctification is that process by which we are being made to live up to the status that we have been given. If you are in Christ, you have been declared holy. You have been granted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But you know what? I look how I lived yesterday or the day before, and I'm thinking, wow, that's not the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit through the Word of God, is working to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ so that we look like what we're actually called, so that we live like we have been declared to be in Jesus Christ. And that's that idea of the Holy Spirit remaining to guide us along the way. Sanctification isn't just some sort of philosophical idea that you might read about in a theology textbook. Sanctification is when it gets down to the nitty-gritty. Sanctification is how do I respond tomorrow in this particular situation when I'm coming under temptation or when I am challenged in my faith in some way? How do I live? The Holy Spirit guides all along the way, applying that precious word to our lives so that we can live in a way that brings God glory. Okay. Last point here. And that is that in this whole process, there's, there's a cycle going on a cycle in which we get the truth and God gets the glory. Let's read again to remind ourselves of this passage. I'm starting in verse 14 now. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. One of the things I love about the Trinity and the teaching of the Trinity is that you actually see the Trinity played out in Scripture and in life. 
One example is creation, where God the Father conceives of creation, but Jesus is the spoken word that brings everything into existence, and yet you have the Spirit of God hovering over the deep, the manifest presence of God in creation. Salvation, conceived by God from eternity past, accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross, made manifest in our lives through the new birth by the Holy Spirit. And then the idea of revelation. Jesus makes it very clear here and throughout the whole book of John that you have a a kind of a succession of revelation. Jesus only talks about what he has received from the Father. The Holy Spirit then conveys the things that Jesus has received from the Father. You see that in these verses and again see it throughout the whole book of John. But the process doesn't start there. The Holy Spirit then reveals to the disciples and we pick up the words of the disciples and we read it and we explain it to somebody else. A great example in Scripture is that of Timothy. So we go back all the way, the Father the source of this revelation through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit recorded by the prophets in the Scriptures. And then you've got Timothy's mother and grandmother teaching him. And the Apostle Paul comes alongside and disciples Timothy. And then what's Timothy supposed to do? He's supposed to pass that truth on to other people who will then be faithful to pass it on even further. Coming from the Father by the Holy Spirit all the way to us today. And it's so important that we don't break that chain and just come up with our own truth. Well, my truth, honestly, I'm sorry. I don't really care. Please, I I love you, whoever you might be, but I don't care about your truth. This has been revealed and passed on. And if Jesus is responsible enough to only pass on what he receives from the Father, and if the Holy Spirit is committed enough only to give us what he receives from Jesus, then how about we be faithful in the act of passing on this body of truth from generation to generation? It's not our place to come up with new ideas, but rather to be faithful in the things that we have received. Then there's a backward process of giving glory. In John 17, Jesus talks about the disciples giving glory to Jesus. In this passage, Jesus says the Holy Spirit isn't doing this in order to attract attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is doing this because he will give glory to Jesus. And Jesus passes on all of the glory to the Father. So we get to be at this turning point in a very important cycle, receiving revelation and giving glory. And the way that we give glory is faithfully living out what we have received. And so we come back again to this essential role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that is helping us to live it out today. Because I might not really care what your truth is, but I very deeply care 
what your trouble is and what your need is and how Jesus Christ can meet every one of those needs. Do you see this beautiful place that Jesus is leaving, in which Jesus is leaving his disciples? He's giving them a Holy Spirit who's going to walk with them, who's going to remind them, who's going to stay alongside them and tell them what these things mean. And then as they go along the way, he's not going to be like, hey, here's the map of life, good luck. He's going to go with them every step of the way, guiding them in living out this body of truth. And that is what we receive as well. So two pieces of advice as we wrap this up. And one is to be very careful of where we are looking for guidance. To be mindful or attentive to our guide in life. Jesus uses the word leading or guiding in a variety of contexts, and one of those is the blind leading the blind. And boy, I feel like we see so much of that. Go on to just about any chat room, and you're caught in an echo chamber, and so often it is just people philosophizing, the blind leading the blind. And it might seem wise, it sounds wise, Satan is the father of lies. He loves to deceive, and he loves for that deception to be beautiful and to be smart and to appeal to our very basic needs, whatever they might be. But you know what? It's still a lie. We've got to be careful of getting caught in those situations where it's the blind leading the blind. And, and part of the danger there is that those who are offering guidance in that situation are so often doing it out of self-interest as versus out of the good of someone who is seeking to receive guidance. When the blind lead the blind, for the most part, it is a desire to be justified in where I am and in what I am thinking and in what I value. And if I can bring somebody along with me, then that even builds me up even further in this position where I want to be. It's very similar to the idea when Jesus talks about the Pharisees as blind guides. These are self-appointed leaders. These are people who ought to know better these are people who are presented as the ones who ought to know the truth. And all they're doing, in Jesus' words, is wrapping millstones around people's necks, placing on their shoulders burdens that they can't carry, and making them, in Jesus' words, worse sons of hell than they are themselves. And may the Lord help us because there is so much of that out there. Teachers who ought to be pointing to the truth, instead building themselves up in power 
and in position or popularity or whatever it might be that they're pursuing. Certainly wealth often has something to do with it. But maybe it's just plain ego. But they're not leading into the truth. They're not helping us to walk in the way that Jesus laid out for us. Instead, we seek guidance from the Holy Spirit in the Word that He has given to us. And the reason we know we can trust Him is because it's not out of self-interest. The Holy Spirit is not seeking to bring glory to Himself. He's not seeking to build Himself up, not seeking to get any attention. All the Holy Spirit wants to do is point us to Jesus because He's looking out for us. And so we can trust Him. So then how? How can we be attentive to the Holy Spirit instead of these other guides who are out there? Well, there's three things. I'm sure you've heard them before, but let's think about them in the context of this passage. First of all, in the situation I'm confronted with, Tom, you said that everything I need for life and godliness is in the Word of God. Okay, I'm supposed to choose between this job or that. Where am I going to find that in the Word of God? I'm supposed to decide if I'm going to move to this place or that place. I am supposed to figure out how to walk through this tragic situation that has entered into my life. Please help me understand how the Word of God is sufficient in these situations that I am confronting today. Well, first of all, go to the actual Word itself, praying for the illumination of the Holy Spirit to make sure that the things that I am deciding and the things that I am saying and the things that I am pursuing are in agreement with the Word of God, that they reflect the values, that they reflect the truth, that they reflect the commands that we have received and are not in contradiction to them. So we go to the Word. Second, we seek wisdom. Remember, the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us understand how to apply this to our life today. That's wisdom. Wisdom is not just knowing the truth, but being able to live the truth. And so as we go into the Word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will help me understand how to live that today. And sometimes He's going to shake us up and say, wow, that's totally different than I expected. Never really had that thought, but that is how I can follow the Jesus way today. The third thing is seeking the counsel and the advice of the godly. Scripture is filled with admonitions to turn to other trusted people and to ask for wisdom from them. Yes, we are praying. We are seeking wisdom from the Lord. We're going into the Word of God. But I ran ran across a quote this week, so important in my own life, so important in every areas of life, can't remember it exactly, but the idea is the most important thing, this is a secular philosopher, 
is not to deceive yourself, and you are the easiest person for you to deceive. Wow, do I see that true in my own life. There are things that I just want to be true, and I'm going to find them wherever I can find them, right? Our hearts are so deceptive, so easy to lead us astray. We need friends who are going to be faithful to point us to the Word of God and to help us see where we are blinded. And so we seek the counsel of the godly. Paul advises us to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. He tells us to obey the Word, and in doing so, we can give God glory. We've been given a gift. We're not left on our own. We don't have to try and figure out how to make it through this particular situation or that particular problem on our own. We have the Holy Spirit. Let us be faithful in seeking His guidance as well as in leading others into the truth that He's given us. And in the end, we'll know that it's the Holy Spirit's work because, as one commentator has said, the hallmark of the Spirit's activity is focus on Jesus and excitement about Jesus. Is the step that we're taking, the decision that we're making, the way that we're following, bringing glory to Jesus Christ? That is a great test of whether the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And remember, we're not talking about the Jesus that we imagine or that we want to affirm us and to confirm the things that we think. We are talking about the Jesus who is revealed in His Word, who is loving, who is faithful, who is true, the Jesus who is with us today by the Holy Spirit, the Jesus who will judge in the day to come, the Jesus who is sufficient for every need that we have. Let's pray in His name. Father, I'm reminded of Jesus telling the disciples He would not leave them alone he would give them the Holy Spirit. And there are so many times that we feel alone. We feel alone with our doubts. We feel alone with our struggles. We feel alone in our sins. We feel alone as we contemplate a difficult future. Thank you. What an incredible gift. The very presence of Jesus Christ with us and in us by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that truly we are never alone. And that means that we are never without comfort. We are never without guidance. We're never without power for life and godliness. 
Lord, in a world that calls for our attention in so many ways and makes so many bad promises, help us to cling to the gift that you've given us, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the unshakable gift of your word, which is true, and the very precious gift of your Holy Spirit with us and in us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.